Well, I don't know what, uh, what sort of TV you like to watch. Uh, one of the things that uh, my wife and I, we like to do is we like to, uh, one of the series that we like to watch is uh, Life on Mars. I don't know if you ever come across that one and Ashes to Ashes, the follow-up. Um, but uh, one of the reasons we like that is because it's got some quite interesting themes in about trust. Now, one of the things about that series is the uh, a policeman, Sam Tyler, he... he uh, is hit by a car and he, he wakes up in 1973 from the, um, from the present day. And he ends up with this uh, in, a, in a sort of um, police uh, station and working for the police. And, and he's um, got this boss, Gene Hunt, who's a bit of a, what they might call a rough diamond. Not exactly a, a perfect sort of a, a person. And all through this, uh, this series and the following ones, the theme of trust really emerges. You know, will he trust Gene Hunt, or will he trust another character who appears very smooth, who appears perfect, who appears to be just the right kind of a a perfect moral guy, but actually, as it turns out, he's not, and I'm sorry if I've ruined it all um, for you there, Um, still worth watching. But that theme of trust, it's very relevant, and for us as Christians, I think particularly at this time of year, at Christmas, it's, it's a very relevant topic, isn't it? Who do we trust? I don't know if you saw in the news just uh, about a week or so ago, a church, uh, no, a, a school, sorry, down in Chingford, they, uh, the carol away in a manger, they changed the words, the little Lord Jesus, to the little baby Jesus. They wrote the Lord Jesus out of, of the carol. And um, that's the kind of thing, I think that's just symptomatic of the way that people treat Christmas now. They see Jesus as, at best, um, perhaps a quaint kind of, uh, or some people might like a bit of the real meaning of Christmas. But a lot of people, I think, see Jesus as just inconvenient, at best, for Christmas time. That's what many people see. Who do we trust? And that is what this passage is, is, uh, is thinking about. And we're going to be focusing on Isaiah at chapter 7, and that's on page uh, 691 in the Red Church Bibles, if you'd like to, to follow along. Isaiah chapter 7. Just to put this into context, King Ahaz, and you can read about the story of King Ahaz in uh, 2 Kings chapter 16, that this uh, Isaiah 7 kind of fits with that and gives us a little bit more detail about what was happening. But if you just turn to the beginning of chapter 7, Ahaz, it says, the king of, uh, king of Judah was facing uh, Pekah and Rezin. They'd formed an alliance. The king of Israel and the king of Aram had formed an alliance and were marching against Judah. And this is what King Ahaz was worrying about. And in fact was, uh, was deeply worried about losing the kingdom. But God said to him, Uh, verse 7 and 8 he says it will not take place it will not happen for the head of Aram is Damascus and the head of Damascus is only resin Uh, within 65 years Ephraim too will be shattered uh, too shattered to be a people so God says don't worry it's not going to happen to Ahaz but we know from 2 Kings chapter 16 that what Ahaz does is he doesn't listen to that he forms an, a treaty and alliance with Assyria, which was the, the, the local superpower in the ancient Near East at that time. 
He forms an alliance with Assyria and he does not listen. And so that's why God, through Isaiah, gives him this warning in verse verse 9. If you do not stand firm in your faith, you will not stand at all. This is the question that uh, this is the question that Ahaz was facing. Will you trust in Assyria or will you trust in me? Who will you trust in? That's what the Lord was saying to Ahaz. And so again, uh, this is what we have at the beginning of our passage there, verse 10. Again, the Lord spoke to Ahaz, ask the Lord your God for a sign, whether in the deepest depths or in the, the highest heights. What he means here is not ask for some sort of miraculous event from heaven to prove a direction that you should go in. What he means really is ask for an answer to prayer. Ask for God to deal with these people. And that's what answer to prayer is really. It's a sign, isn't it? An answer to prayer is a sign that God is, that God is with us and that God is, is listening and so on. And what Isaiah says is, look, seek the Lord about this situation. Trust him, seek him about this situation. But Ahaz, he gives a very pious sounding response. He says, I will not ask, I will not put the Lord to the test. You may recall that this is the the exact verse that the Lord Jesus quotes when he's tempted in the wilderness. He says, do not put the Lord your God to the test. But Ahaz, he takes it completely out of context. In the original context, it's meant to mean don't, uh, in a faithless way, put God to the test. But it doesn't mean don't pray and don't seek the Lord, don't take your problems to the Lord. That's not what it means at all. And what Ahaz does is he he uses this kind of pious language to dress up his unbelief. He excuses his unbelief with this kind of uh, pious language. Ahaz preferred to trust Assyria rather than trust the Lord with his problems. And so uh, Isaiah says, well, God's going to give you a sign anyway. The Lord himself uh, will give you a sign, as it says, verse, uh, verse 14. The Lord himself will give you a sign whether you ask for one or not. And it will be the virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son. And we'll call him Emmanuel. Now who is Isaiah referring to here? And I'm sure at this point you're thinking, well Phil, you know, a few minutes ago we had that reading from Matthew chapter 1. Clearly he's referring to Jesus. And of course you would be right. He is referring to Jesus. But that's not much help to Ahaz, is it? If Isaiah is saying, 700 years from now God will give you a sign when you're long dead. I think we have to look first for the fulfilment to Ahaz and then see how that applies uh, when it comes to Jesus. I think the clue is in, so often in these cases, in the footnotes. And if you look, it says, when it says the virgin will be with child. The virgin is also a a word which can mean a young woman. There is a a word, a Hebrew word, which means a virgin unambiguously. And that's not the word that Isaiah uses here. And what I believe Isaiah is is saying is that there is going to be a sign of a child. That a young woman 
will have a child and that will be uh, God's sign to them. And if you look actually in uh, chapter 8, verse 3, it says, Then I went to the prophetess and she conceived and gave birth to a son. And the Lord said to me, Name him um, Mahashalahashbaz. Not a very common name these days. Uh, but I, I think this is the fulfilment of the sign to Ahaz. This was going to be the sign to him to say, Look, a child's going to be born, and as we'll see in a moment's time, before he's old enough to, uh, to know what the right from the wrong, then these kingdoms that you're worried about are going to be no more. That was the sign to Ahaz. But the sign to us, the sign of Jesus, kind of um, develops from that. It's fulfilled in Ahaz's time in a small way, but to us it's fulfilled in a bigger way. And that's often how prophecy works in the Bible. You might imagine looking at a, a mountain range and you look from one angle and you see a small mountain and you see a big mountain, but, but from one angle they just look the same. And that's a bit like how it is with prophecy. There's a small fulfilment to Ahaz, but then there's a bigger one uh, to us, and that is Jesus. That's how uh, this is working. So what does Isaiah say about this child, Emmanuel? He says, before the boy, this is uh, verse 16 in Isaiah 7, before the boy knows enough to reject the wrong and choose the right, the land of the two kings you dread uh, will be laid waste. And, uh, and verse 15, he will eat curds and honey when he knows enough to reject the wrong and choose the right. Now, curds and honey, that was something that was, it was wild food. It was what you, you ate when you were in poverty. This is not the, this is not the, uh, the food of, of people who are wealthy, but the food of people who have been uh, taken and the food of, of people who do not have uh, enough to eat. He prophesies that Israel and Aaron will pass away this threat from these two kings. But yet there is a greater one, and this is in verse 17. The Lord will bring on you and your people, and on the house of your father, a time unlike any since Ephraim broke away from Judah. And this is the real kick. He will bring the king of Assyria. Who was it that Ahaz was trusting? Assyria. Who was it that God was going to bring against them? Assyria. So often this is how it works in the scriptures. Alec Matia has a book called Psalms by the Day, which I can very highly recommend. And he talks about this through the Psalms as the boomerang effect of evil. The boomerang effect of evil. It, what the evil that we do comes back at us. And you see this all the way through the Psalms, actually. Just to give you one example, Psalm chapter 7, verses 14 to 16 he who is pregnant with evil and conceives trouble gives birth to disillusionment. He who digs a hole and scoops it out falls into the pit he has made. The trouble he causes recoils on himself. His violence comes down on his own head. The boomerang effect of evil. Ahaz trusted in Assyria rather than trusting in the Lord. And so that's what came back at him and at the people of, of Judah. Why, what, what, why would someone trust their worst enemy like that? And a quote that I found from one of the commentators, it says this, when we cannot trust God, it suddenly makes good sense 
to trust our worst enemy. When we can't trust God, it makes sense to trust our worst enemy. And this is what Ahaz was doing. And it came back on his own head. Well, let's draw some threads together. Let's draw a few uh, threads together as we've we've gone through the passage. What can we say about it? What can we say uh, to take into this week? Think about this. Was Emmanuel the sign good news or bad news to Ahaz? Was the sign good news or bad news to Ahaz? And I think the sign could have been either, depending on the key thing, the way that Ahaz chose to respond to it. The sign itself was a test. And the important thing was the way that Ahaz responded to it, or didn't respond to it. The message of the sign was this. If you trust me, I will give you the victory. The people of uh, the king of Rezin, King Rezin, uh, King Pekah, these are no problem to me if you trust me. If you don't trust me, then I will bring the king of Assyria against you, the very one who you are trusting in. And that is, uh, that is the message of Emmanuel. For Ahaz, Emmanuel was bad news. Emmanuel was bad news because it meant that he wasn't trusting in the Lord. It meant that he wasn't seeking God and he was trusting in earthly human things rather than trusting in God. And to bring this into the the greater sign, into Jesus, this is how it works with him as well. Jesus is the sign to us. And our response to him is the key thing. Now this is how it works all the way through the New Testament. Jesus is the one who who divides. And it's our response to him which which makes the difference. So let me read you, uh, for example, John chapter 3, verse 36. John 3, verse 36. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. But whoever rejects the Son will not see life, for God's wrath remains on him. It's our response to Jesus that makes the difference. How we respond to Jesus. And it's deeply bad news if we reject the Lord Jesus. It is deeply bad news for us. And I think that's a challenge for our secular culture that wants to eliminate Jesus from Christmas even, and just make him a little baby in a manger and no more, wants to keep him at arm's length, wants to say no thanks to your your Christmas, Uh, we'd rather just have the presents in the tree, but we don't want the Jesus as part of it. It's a, a deeply offensive message to a secular culture to say actually you're rejecting the very thing which gives life. But for those who accept Jesus, for those who do trust in him, it is immensely good news. Let me read you Romans chapter 8, verses 31 to 32. What then shall we say in response to this? 
If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? If God is for us, who can be against us? And we know that through Jesus Christ, God is for us, for those who believe and trust in him. And Romans 8 is a wonderful chapter, full of the promises of God to those who believe. So I'd like to, uh, to finish with, a, with a, uh, some challenges for us, a few things for us to think about this Christmas time. Three things. The first thing is, do we trust in Emmanuel personally? Is Jesus Christ our own personal saviour? And it's an important question uh, for everyone to think about. Is Jesus Christ the one who saves you from the fate that awaits those who do not believe and trust in the Lord Jesus? Because as we have just been hearing about in the, the colic this morning, Jesus will return one day as judge. That will not be good news for those uh, who, be, who do not believe and trust in him. But it will be wonderful for those who love him, who go to eternal life. The second thing is, do we trust and seek the Lord in every situation? It's so easy, isn't it, like Ahaz, to look to human solutions for things. We look to politicians to help us. We look to, uh, we look to maybe celebrities. We look to organisations, to structures. We look to money, perhaps, or family to solve, solve our problems. Do we look to Jesus? Do we look first and foremost uh, to him? I think it's so easy to be drawn aside this way, especially uh, at the moment. You know, people have very different views about uh, the way the country should be going. People have different views about the way we should order things. Do we look to Jesus as the one who will really sort things out, both in our own lives, in our own situations and problems, and to the country as well? Look to the Lord Jesus. And thirdly and finally, do we boldly proclaim that message, the sign of Emmanuel, to our, our friends, our families, our neighbours, the people, our work colleagues perhaps, people we know. I think this is a message which affects everyone. Everyone needs to respond to this message. Do we give people the opportunity to respond to that message, knowing that what awaits us all is the return of the, the judgment of, of Christ. Whether we love him and go to eternal life, or whether we reject him and face the eternal consequences. Everyone has to make that decision. Do we boldly proclaim Jesus, Emmanuel, the sign that the Lord has given to us? So that's the way I'd like to, uh, to finish as we uh, come to the end. Just that question. How will you respond to the sign of Emmanuel this Christmas? Let's pray together. Dear Heavenly Father, we pray that you would help us to respond rightly to the sign of Emmanuel this Christmas time. We do give you great thanks that the Lord Jesus is good news to all those who believe and trust in him. And we pray that you would help us to believe and trust in him ourselves, 
uh, more and more day by day uh, with your help. Uh, And we pray, Lord, that you would help us to be people who uh, offer that message to others as well and want to seek to to bring others uh, to trust in him also. So we commit these things to you in the name of our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen.